This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack was one of the biggest cyber events of the year, demonstrating just how much of an impact a cyber attack can have on the infrastructure that runs our everyday lives. Has this been a big wake-up call to how operational technology is secured, or is there still much more to do? And what types of threats are out there that could pose challenges to organizations in this industry? I'm Danny Palmer. This is ZDNet Security Update. And with me to discuss this is Sergio Caltagirone, Vice President of Threat Intelligence at Dragos. Thanks for joining me, Sergio. So first of all, can you give us a bit of a reminder of what happened with the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack? Because uh, over there in the US, it obviously had a massive impact on uh, the northeastern seaboard. It certainly did. So Colonial Pipeline is a um, you know, multi-thousand mile oil and gas pipeline. Um, and it uh, transports a large percentage of the natural gas as well as the um, uh, gasoline and so forth that uh, travels between the Midwest United States and the Eastern side of the United States. Uh, it is, uh, it's not unlike pipelines that run throughout Europe, uh, run throughout Asia, run throughout Africa, um, you know, where you have thousand miles of pipeline between um, supply and demand, of course, where you have to transport um, volatile uh, liquids and gases. Now, the challenge here is, of course, that these companies that run these pipelines, um, they are, uh, you know, first of all, it's, it's best to understand that, you know, most of the time, you, it's best to see them as manufacturing companies, not as, uh, you know, a lot of people think of a pipeline and they think of like a pipe in their house where you, know, you put water in one side and water comes out the other side. Um, when you have pipelines of thousands of miles, not only that, but the colonial pipeline uh, is um, structured such that there are about 180 compression, uh, compression stations throughout its thousands of miles of, of pipe. Um, what you end up doing is basically you have a think of it as 180 pipes. Um, because you can break each one into sections. And interestingly, each section can carry completely different material. One section could have gasoline in it ready for vehicles and the next section could have um, like a different unique hydrocarbon that needs to be reprocessed later on. So you can't just, you know, so when something happens to these pipelines, first of all, every section of the pipeline has to be heated or cooled or compressed or pressurized in a certain way, depending on the necessary requirements of that chemical uh, and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because when we talk about colonial pipeline, it's important to have that background because without that background, you don't understand what I'm about to tell you, which is that a piece of ransomware um, got in through, uh, through into the IT network and they caused a lot of problems and, it, you know, basic business operation issues. Uh, the problem with it is that because of a pipeline and how it operates, um, you have to know what you're bringing into the pipeline, where it's at the entire time of the process, and then, of course, where it's going to go at the end of the pipeline. You have to have the right ships or the right um, uh, containers. You have to have the right ports. 
uh, the right trucks lined up for when, you know, when that stuff comes out, it's got to be handled in the right way. You can't just dump it on the ground or let it loose in the air and things like that for obvious reasons. Um, and so all of that requires a huge logistical problem, is a huge logistical problem and requires a lot of coordination. Um, and you have hundreds of companies pumping stuff through these pipelines. It's not like it just, the pipeline goes into the ground and it, stuff comes out, right? Um, you have trucks and you have container ships and stuff delivering stuff into these pipelines all the time. So there's a huge accounting problem. So when you lose business operations in the pipeline, that becomes a major issue. Now the pipeline doesn't, can't keep track of what's in it, where that stuff is, and what it's going to do when the stuff comes out at the end. Uh, and now, of course, that could cause um, ecological disasters. It could cause life safety issues. People could die. Explosions could happen. All these are not safe things to be dealing with. Um, and so out of an abundance of caution, uh, Colonial decided to shut down its, um, its pipeline operations. What it basically did was it said, whatever's in the pipeline is gonna stay in the pipe um, and we're gonna hold, basically hold it there as long as we possibly can. That way, at least we don't have ecological disasters or things like that. The challenge with this is again, that now, um, and they did that out of, out of abundance of caution, right? And they did, they did it for less than a week um, of, of outage. But of course now realize that a pipeline operates over thousands of miles by taking a little bit of energy out of the pipe um, to operate its compressor station. So it actually uses some of the material in the pipeline to power itself. Now, once you shut the pipeline down, you got to bring it back up. That's not easy to do. Um, and again, realizing that every section of this pipeline has to be basically dealt with like entirely differently. And so they had to roll out trucks um, like diesel generator trucks to restart these uh, compressor stations to get the pipeline going, which is why it took days to bring it back online. And this is a great example for the public as to why industrial control systems and the cybersecurity around them is so unique from say email outages and you know um, regular business outages where if you know that bad, bad, bad things happen and bringing this stuff back online is very complicated and very dangerous. That's the thing. It's been a real eye opener because you know, we there's been plenty of ransomware attacks over the years. Uh, if it affects you know business X or Y, stopping them from able to access their files, you no know, things that are obviously bad for the business, bad for customers, but aren't really having effect on the physical uh, items that uh, people can get. Well, when this attack hit the pipeline because the pipeline was shut down, suddenly you had queues uh, of people lining up to try and rush for gas because they didn't know when it was going to be possible. And it was just one of those things that showed how. Uh, a cyber attack, uh, especially against infrastructure like this, you know, it's not cyber isn't just some mythical land uh, away from the physical world. Uh, they're both the same thing. And th this showed that the, uh, this has a massive impact and that these systems, these industrial systems, some of which have been running for uh, no, decades on the same old technology, uh, are now at risk from uh, cyber attacks in this way. Yeah, and Danny, you bring up such a great point, and I'm so glad you did it, um, which is so insightful, which is that in the industrial sector, we think of the immediate consequences, like I said, ecological um, damage, uh, psych, uh, phys physical damage to plants or people, um, and so forth. But really, the largest impact to industrial control uh, um, problems is psychological. Um, if you think about it, an attack against the levee system in, say, Holland, or uh, the levee system in, say, New Orleans, um, 
where you have, you know, that that is psychologically very sensitive to a population. Um, you could have major out uh, power outages, even for the shortest period of time, can cause psychological challenges um, for a population, especially if it's like during a heat event or during a massive cold spell. Um, and so in many cases, a, an industrial control attack doesn't have to be large and it doesn't have to be an explosion for it to have a massive impact on what the population sees as you know, security and safety that it, it deserves from, from its um, organizations around it. And one of the interesting things about this case in particular is you now it was by uh, a ransomware gang, obviously looking to make money and the way these attackers, they, you know, they basically look at networks, see what's out there, encrypt it and, and then sort of see what's going on. And they, they, in a way, it seems that they might not, not have known what they were getting themselves into because they thought, OK, we've we, we've ransomware the, the, the this these this office infrastructure which is then turned out to be connected to uh, an industrial pipeline and suddenly uh, this ransomware group had uh, the white house uh, asking questions about them and it just it seems to have really escalated um in terms of showing the damage that ransomware can do and also escalated the response because uh, ransomware has been a problem for uh, several years now we had the incidents like uh, wanna cry a few years ago which you know over here in the uk affected uh, the national health service very badly uh, that was back in 20 uh, a few years ago and now uh, ransomware continued to cause massive problems but now it's suddenly in the us affected oil and gas and suddenly the white house is uh, might be knocking on uh, your door which if you're a ransomware gang it might be a slightly intimidating prospect exactly we there's been that that question has always been posed to me, which is that we focus a lot in the industrial space on state or state associated um, threats. And that is a, a whole nother topic of conversation we, we can touch. But on the criminal side, it's always been a question is why aren't we seeing more criminal attacks against uh, critical infrastructure, industrial control systems? Um, and the answer is, is that there's two reasons. One, because impacting industrial control systems is actually not simple. It's not easy. Um, in fact, in this case, uh, in Colonial, the adversary kind of got lucky. Um, they didn't know exactly, like you said, what the potential outcome would be. But that also is why this is so darn dangerous in the industrial sector. Because even the owners and operators of industrial equipment cannot guarantee what will happen if you start injecting unpredictable events inside of an, inside of an operational um, uh, plant or um, uh, industrial process. Um, and not only that, but if, if, a, if a ransomware gets in, so we've seen things like Ekans, we've seen things like CLOP, uh, Megacortex, we've seen ransomware that is directly affects industrial control systems. It's looking in its list of targets, it's looking for industrial control system processes to shut down and ransom. Um, now, if you do that to the wrong plant, you could have really, really serious consequences because these plants are not designed to have unpredictable events occur. Um, and when that happens, unpredictable outcomes happen. And so we always caution the industrial control sector space with, it's not the adversary who wants to take you down that is necessarily the one you need to worry about the most. It's the adversary who's inside your operations, uh, your, your critical operations parts that don't know what they're doing that actually may pose the greatest risk um, to something really, really bad happening. And we have lots of cases of actually accidental disruption occurring inside of the industrial space. And the second to that is you blow something up and you kill people, you're going to be put on lists that you don't want to be on. 
Um, and I think that this was a great example of where ransomware stuck its, you know, where a, a criminal element stuck its nose into a place it, it didn't want to be and it, it showed. Um, and I think this is a good, I think that the US response to this was extremely positive in that it wasn't as strong as I think some cybersecurity experts would have preferred it to be, but at least it moved us in the direction as a community to say, look, there is a line, you don't cross it. Um, and you better be a lot more careful in the future. Now, we're not going to come after you if you take down every email server, right? But, you know, there is a line there, like that we will place tremendous amounts of uh, pressure on you. This has me thinking about an incident that happened a few months before Colonial, the uh, water treatment uh, plant in Florida, where in someone Baltimore, came yeah. in and just seemed to want to mess about with the systems and almost ended up poisoning the water supply. And it's, again, that wasn't some sort of, no, no state-backed, sophisticated uh, group. That was someone just trying the luck and going, okay, this is interesting, yep. and just messing about and almost causing massive issues. And, it, and I suppose uh, the question uh, from here is, uh, you know, what do these incidents uh, show uh, the industrial control uh, system operators and the, you know, the infrastructure that's reliant on these and in terms of their security and what they should be looking at to help secure these networks. Because as discussed, you know, some of these systems are running on operating systems, which aren't really even supported anymore. You know, things like old DOS systems or early version of Microsoft Windows, which you might not be able to get, you know, you can't get patches for anymore. So how do uh, organizations ensure that their networks aren't going to be affected by just some some guy coming in and seeing what they can do. Yeah, I think there's there's a you have to stop and start at the top level, which are boards of directors, governments, um, policy uh, groups need to start putting pressure on the operators, whether they're state operators or quasi state operations or completely private operations. Right, um, they need to put pressure on organizations to do something. Um, and it is, uh, they, and, and that's the first thing and that's starting to happen, right? There is, um, now pressure coming out of the U S white house on, you know, or, uh, electric, uh, organizations, oil and gas organizations to start doing something about all of this. You're seeing movement in the UK, although the UK started moving honestly ahead of the U S years ago to help, you know, put pressure on private industry and, um, and quasi government industries. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I think that there is movement. I think that we're getting to the point now where we had an opportunity to get ahead of this problem and this problem caught up with us. Um, there's very few opportunities in cybersecurity where you get the benefit of foresight. Um, and this is one of those where we still can see a little bit ahead. Like we're, we're not as far ahead as we should be, but we can see that this is going to be a bigger problem. We all know that. And the problem is now we just got to get us operationally there. And so the second thing that has to happen um, I think is, and, and this is a weird thing to say, but there's got to be funding. Um, and this is really challenging. Now, talk about something that's hard is the water sector. Uh, in the U.S., we're talking about tens of thousands of pieces of water infrastructure. You talk about Switzerland, you're talking about, um, you know, hundred. you're talking about um, tens of thousands of pieces of water infrastructure, very, you know, um, that are managed by individual cantons and so forth and towns and municipalities and even neighborhoods, right, and things like that. Like, managing in water infrastructure is really hard and there's almost no money around it. Um, we all know that water infrastructure by itself globally is falling apart um, because of lack of investment. Now you add cybersecurity on top of it and you get a bigger problem. Um, 
So I think the thing is what has to happen is one realization that there's gotta be a push. And then the second thing is we gotta figure out funding. Um, and this is not an, and it, it, it sounds weird to say, but there's, there is a very little money sufficient to cover the amount of critical infrastructure we actually have at risk. And with uh, these incidents, these were cyber criminals uh, doing this. There have been incidents, you know, Dragos details earlier this year, incidents of you know, uh, state-backed uh, hacking operations looking at you know, power grids and all sorts of this sorts of critical infrastructure. And you know, what sort of effects could that have? Because the, the, these aren't just you know, some, some people uh, having a go. These are uh, organizations which are, you know, th it's their job to try and enter these networks. And uh, it, it sounds as if that, that some real work needs to be done in order to help secure these networks uh, from these threats. Yeah, so in the state cases, in the cases of a state-associated adversary, whether that's a state or state-backed or, you know, um, sometimes states pay, uh, you know, third parties to do this for them and so forth. Um, the challenge is here, um, it's more about detection. It's more about, look, you, you get a, you know, a hundred million dollar state operation running up against a $10 million, you know, cybersecurity budget, you're going to lose. I'm sorry. Like there's just, you know, there's, like, it's just not, it's not reasonable. I've, I've worked for 20 years against the top and I've worked for, you know, fortunately the, the top, you know, hacking organizations in the world. And I can tell you that there's very little you can do about it. The biggest important thing that these organizations can do is detect and respond. At our, our, at those adversaries, again, speaking as somebody who used to be a state, a state hacker, right? Um, the biggest concern I had was detection and response. Um, it was that they're going to see what I'm doing and then do something about it. If now, if they saw what I was doing, it didn't do anything about it. Like, I care. Um, but the thing is, is that you got to have, you got to have, you know, detection informed response. And, um, and so for these organizations, when you're talking about state sponsored attacks, you've got to have detection, you got to have response. Prevention, there's a little bit you can do, but it is, it's very, it's not, you're never going to out budget these, these teams. Um, it's like I said, all about detection and response. You got to get there fast and you got to do something about it. The good thing is, is that these industrial control systems, and I can tell you uh, from, from personal experience are very complicated. And if you wanted to actually take down and disrupt a control system in a way that you wanted to, of course, you could always go in and do what we call the push button approach, which is push all the buttons and see what happens. Um, and that some adversaries are doing that, unfortunately. But if you actually wanted to have a deterministic outcome, I wanted this plant to blow up at this time because I had, you know, I wanted to do this, or that I wanted this transmission station to go out at this time because of an election or something like that. Um, if you want to have deterministic approaches, uh, deterministic outcomes as a hacker, you're going to spend months studying the operations of those of those facilities. And that as a defender is like such the critical time where you could have found them and done something to have prevented them from knowing enough to do what they wanted to do. So we do have a chance to stop it. I'm not saying that, you know, it's impossible, but you just you have to take the opportunity to do it. Well, hopefully uh, anyone watching this involved in this space will take this message on board and look to help uh, protect uh, their networks or the networks of uh, others around them in the ICS and OT in, uh, industry uh, from these types of cyber attacks. Uh, thanks for joining me on ZDNet Security Update, Sergio. And for more information on how to keep your network secure from cyber attacks, be sure to like and subscribe to the ZDNet YouTube channel. Of course, there's plenty of articles and features on ZDNet.com. Thanks for watching.